All right, good morning again. <clears throat> Another quick reminder of the next two weeks or so. Pray for Brother Chris. He'll be preaching Wednesday evening, so remember him in your prayers. And then pray for Chris and Randy for next weekend. That's Sunday. Uh, Chris Catechism, Randy for the main message. And then that's a fellowship Sunday. I'm right, right? Yeah. And then the following Wednesday would be Brother Gary. So remember that just to make sure that, you know, I don't want to think that I'll preach next Wednesday and I won't be able to. So, <clears throat> so anyway, remember those things in prayer. Yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, time next weekend forward. And listen, this is the permanent forward because we'll never turn our clocks back again. Because they, they passed that. Oh, they hadn't? Oh. Oh, well, as long as Louisiana has, we're good. So we'll... Oh, okay. Oh, well, sorry about that. Second Corinthians, brethren. <clears throat> we're back in Second Corinthians... We'll have a little refresher of chapter 10 since we hadn't been there for a little bit. And you know, when you read the first and second letter of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, you're reading about a local church in the first century. But not just a local church, a local church in its infancy. It was brand new, as all these churches. The churches of Galatia, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ at Rome, the churches of Thessalonica. So... And you can see those seven churches, Ephesus, and you see the other ones in the book of the Revelation. The problems that, it's amazing that the problems that existed then, they still exist now in the church. And so we want to be wise and learn from what Paul the Apostle wrote unto us from the Holy Scriptures. So again, last time we were in chapter 10, we're just going to go over a few things. We're not going to go over the whole chapter, but kind of an in brief of what was happening in that time. Uh, let's open in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, thank you for your broken body and shed blood for our sins. Father, we are eternally grateful, Father, for our great salvation that you have given us. And Father, that your blessed Son secured on our behalf. Lord, it is our desire that you would enlarge the borders of your kingdom today, Father, that you would save those that are outside of Christ, some that even sit among us. We pray for, Lord, our communities, those folks that we rub elbows with every day, that, Father, we would be salt and light to them, and that we would have a word ready on our lips, that we would know how to speak to them about Christ. Lord, that we would have answers for their questions. Lord, help us. Again, thank you. We ask that you'd help us, Father, to be able to pay attention and to come apart for this few minutes. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So last time we were there, and I want to try and get your minds back, there was accusations coming from false teachers in the church at Corinth, and they were accusing Paul and his fellow ministers of executing a carnal ministry. 
Now, carnal ministry, meaning a ministry that was, uh, it was governed by Paul's own will rather than the will of Christ. Now, Paul answers this, and he begins in chapter 10 and verse 1. We'll just read, look at the first two verses. Paul says, Now, I myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And I want you to know how he started there. That's the way we ought to answer, beloved, if there's an accusation. So he answers in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence, and he's speaking about himself, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. Now, the tone of this entire chapter is Paul's trying to be humble, but he's also letting them know that he has authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he has been sent by Christ. And the church at Corinth, by the way, is a result of his labor and his work, which God called him to do. We'll see that in a few moments in the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 17. Notice verse 2, he says, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, when I am present with that confidence, rather, wherewith I think to be bold against some. That some were those who were speaking against him. So Paul said, listen, I don't want to come, and I don't want to be bold with the boldness in such a way as I think to be bold. And he says, these are those which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. As if our ministry was a fleshly ministry, a worldly ministry, a ministry that was not of God. And so here's the problem. And we think about this. And listen, when we read the scriptures, we ought to always be making applications with what's going on today in our church. Is this a carnal ministry? Now, there are many cases in churches today where this would be an accurate accusation, where the churches have become carnal, fleshly, worldly. The world has ingressed into the church. And beloved, that's something that we need to be careful and watch for. But that was not, it was not the case with Paul and he responded to their accusations by teaching them that although he was still robed in a body of flesh, and he's answering them, he'll answer them, and I'll show you in verses 3 and 4. He was still robed in a body of flesh, but his ministry was not motivated by, motivated by the flesh. His ministry was not carnal. Look at verse 3. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we still dwell in these earthly tabernacles, we do not war according to or after the flesh. That's not how we execute our ministry. Our ministry is a spiritual ministry. It's spiritually focused. It's God-exalting. It's a ministry that casts out earthly and worldly imaginations. It casts out reasonings that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. We cast out those thoughts. And so Paul's telling them, no, our ministry is not fleshly. Notice there in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal in accordance with their accusation, but our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations or throwing them down, and every high thing 
that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And Paul says that's the nature and character of our ministry. It is a ministry that casts down high imaginations, arrogance in the human spirit, conceitedness. And we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Or we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is, this is a rich passage in the Word of God that teaches us how we should personally war our warfare. And then he says, and this is, this is against the false teachers, verse 6, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so, beloved, these, these false teachers commended Paul in one way, and they insulted him in another way. Verse 10 of this same chapter, the, these false teachers, they said, His letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. And so, they majored on aesthetic worship, what looked good, what sounded good. They wanted to hear someone preach with enticing words. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. But we must remember Corinth was in Greece and they loved a good oration. Paul says, I'm not an orator. I am a preacher of the gospel. If I was an orator, your faith would stand in the wisdom of my oration. But your faith is to stand in the power of God. And beloved, that's how we are to execute this ministry, beloved. It's to be according to the truth of God's word. And so look at verse 7. He says, do you look on things after the outward appearance? And they did. If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we. So what was really happening here is that the, they were guilty, the false teachers were guilty of what they had accused Paul of. Their ministering was according to the flesh and a ministry of outward appearances. Their worship had to look a certain way. And we'll see in a few minutes, they propped each other up by commending each other and comparing themselves among themselves. And we'll see that in a moment. But look at chapter 5 and verse 12. Back up there, same chapter. They accuse Paul of being carnal in his ministry. And here in 2 Corinthians 5.12, he says, For we commend not ourselves again unto you. And earlier in this book, Paul says, We don't need to commend ourselves unto you. You are our commendation. In other words, you are our work in the Lord. If someone wants to see commendation of our ministry, they can look at your lives, and they can look at how you've been taught the truth of God. So here he says, we don't commend ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat notice to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. And beloved, 
any glorying that we do in Grace Fellowship Baptist Church. And listen, we need to struggle against this because the flesh likes glory. The flesh likes to be noticed. The flesh likes to be commended, especially in one that is standing right here. And so we must guard against that, and we must make sure that God gets all the glory. Listen, this pulpit is not a platform for Jimmy. It's a platform for Christ. And that's the way it must stay, beloved. So listen, it was easy to identify these men in this church. They were conceited. They were always commending themselves and boasting and glorying in each other rather than in Christ. And then they measured themselves by themselves. And that, beloved, is not wise. Look at verse 10 of this same chapter. Actually, verse 12. He says, and I love how Paul starts this verse. We dare not make ourselves of that number of men like this or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves these false teachers they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise listen it's a terrible thing when men will use the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as a platform or a stage to promote their own honor and glory. And that's what some of these men were doing. Rather than to exalt and honor and glorify Christ, and that's what the church is for, beloved, and to point both saints and sinners to Christ by preaching the truth of God's word. That's what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is for. Paul warned the Corinthians here in chapter 10, and we lead into chapter 11, and we'll see who was behind this false teaching and these false teachers and the outward appearances and commending themselves. We'll see who was behind it all, and we know it's, it's the wicked one. It's Satan. But Paul warned the Corinthians that these men were not of God, nor was their ministering of God, nor was their wisdom of God. In fact, James wrote this, This wisdom descendeth not from above. And here's how we'll know if our wisdom is godly or not. Is it earthly? Is it sensual or carnal? And is it devilish? If so, that's not the wisdom that descends from above. And so Paul was exposing these false teachers But at the same time, he was showing how God had called him and God had used his labor. We'll see that Paul was there for 18 months. Paul went there and the Lord said, stay there for a year and six months. Well, I don't know if he told him to stay there for a year and six months, but he stayed there for a year and six months. But he said, stay there and preach. And Christ said, I have much people in this city. So he stayed in Corinth and he preached. But let's finish out chapter 10 in verse 13 here's another thing that these men were doing they came into the church at Corinth and they began to take credit for that which they had not done they were boasting in Paul's labors so they came in and they behaved as if this was the result of their labor and their work which it was not and Paul says this in verse 13 he says We will not boast of things without our measure. 
according, but according to the measure of the rule, or what that means is the sphere of influence where God has called us. And God called Paul to Corinth. And listen, here's what we need to know. Where God's speaking and God calls someone to preach and God calls Christians to gather, Satan's going to also send his minions. And his minions are going to try and enter in and ruin what God is building. We know the gates of hell will try to prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they will not be able. But beloved, we still need to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, actually, I said that wrong, your adversary, the devil. You say, isn't he yours too? He is indeed. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And you know what he wants to get? He wants to get a Christian. He wants to get a Christian to cause dissension and trouble. Don't ever think it can't happen. Now, I don't know what the status, the, the soul status of some of these men were, but I can tell you there were some people in the church that were being used by Satan. Don't ever think it can't happen to you. So here, Paul says, we will not boast of things without our measure like they were doing. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us or appointed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. That's personally to the Corinthians. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached not unto you. For we come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Again, he reiterates not boasting of things without our measure. That is of other men's labors. This was a point to the false teachers. He says, but having hope that when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. To preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. And 17 and 18 kind of leads us right into the next chapter. He says, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved. And that's what the false teachers were doing. They were commending themselves among themselves. Paul says, not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Whom the Lord commendeth. Beloved, everything that we do. And listen, I struggle and I pray, Lord, everything that I do, I want it to be for your honor and your glory. Jimmy doesn't need to be part of the equation other than that he simply serves Christ. And beloved, that's where we all need to live in our Christian lives is to simply want to serve Christ. We, want, we should desire to be empty vessels that the power of Christ may be poured into us and that we might live Christ in this lost and dying world. In fact, <clears throat> I think of this passage. I'll just read it to you. In the prophet Jeremiah, I love this passage. It's a good passage to commit to memory. Jeremiah said, Thus saith the Lord. Well, he wrote what the Lord told him to write. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that boasts and glory, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's 
a boast. I know the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Beloved, let us not boast in anything as if it is ours. In fact, Paul in the Corinthians says, What do you have that you did not receive from God? In other words, as a Christian, what do you have that God did not give you? Nothing. Now, if you have received it from God, why do you boast in glory as if you didn't receive it from God, as if you conjured it up yourself? That's not the Christian life, beloved. Listen, our Christian life is to all be pointing those good things that God does in our lives. We need to point to him. Hence, a sign of a false teacher. And we need to keep our little antennas uh, pointing up so that we'll know that. 2 Corinthians 11.1 Now Paul goes on to do what he calls folly. He says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. Now was Paul going to be a fool here? Well, no. And he says again, And indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now remember, he's speaking to the church. Now, what is the church? She is characterized as a woman in the scriptures. We know that from the Song of Solomon. We know that from the book of Ephesians. So he says, I am jealous over you. Then verse 3, he says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh, that is a false teacher, if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom, you, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, he says you might well bear with him. And it's really somewhat of sarcasm. Paul's saying, why do you tolerate it? Why do you bear with false teachers? And that's really the gist of what he's saying here. But let's, let's look at this passage. So again, was Paul being a fool? Well, no, he wasn't. And yet at this point, he was at the place of vindicating his ministry and proving that God had called him to Corinth, and this to protect the church from the false teachers who had ingressed into it and infiltrated it. He was doing his best that they would not infect the church with false doctrine and bring the world into it and change the world, change the church rather, into a, to a club that was like of the world. Beloved, we must guard against that. And so that's why Paul says, would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. So he was forced to do something that he must do to protect the church. I believe he hated doing it. So here, in a sense, he is commending himself to prove that the church at Corinth was the result of his work and of his labor and of the gospel of Christ and that he was there because Christ commanded him to be there. Now we can go to Acts chapter 18. Let me show you this. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 18. Now you got to remember, Paul's writing this to the, the church at Corinth. There were many believers there. 
And so Paul is convincing them, but he's also speaking against these false teachers. Notice in verse 7, the the book of the Acts says, And he, Paul, departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. And he said, Be not afraid, Paul, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he, that is Paul, continued there one year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, remember these false teachers boasted and took credit in what Paul had done. We just read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 to 16. This is why I believe Paul wrote, Would to God that you would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. Now listen, because of these false teachers, and because Paul loved the church at Corinth, he became a jealous spiritual father. He became jealous. You said jealousy is a sin. Not like this. It's not. So he became a jealous spiritual father. Notice, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. A godly jealousy. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.14, and I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 4.14. Paul's first letter to the church. When Paul was writing to them and in the first letter... Uh, In the first 11 chapters, really 12, Paul's dealing with their sins. Here, he said, I write not these things, 414, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. He says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers, spiritual fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. Beloved, the church needs spiritual fathers. The church needs spiritual mentors. The church needs spiritual mothers. The church needs the godly aged to be wise and to mentor young Christians. And so, Paul's here telling the church at Corinth, I'm jealous with a godly jealousy. Now, listen, we ought to know that we serve a God who is jealous when we begin to love and serve and worship other gods or other things or other persons rather than God. And listen, we're apt to do that, to give more time to something of the world, something perishable, even another person than we will give to God. Or we'll put things on a higher plane than God. Listen, sometimes it'll be people who are very near and dear to us we need to be very careful but one of the things to also know about God is one of his names is jealous 
one of his very names. Exodus 34, look at it. Exodus 34.10. The book of the Exodus 34 and verse 10. The Lord speaking to Moses. He said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, of Yahweh, of Jehovah. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. He says, Observe that thou, that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out from before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But you shall destroy their altars and break their images and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He goes on to say, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and with their gods. Beloved, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to in the scriptures as a woman. She is a beautiful, chaste woman. She is the bride of Christ. When God saved you from your sins and from the captivity of Satan, you became not only his own child, but you also became his own bride. So God the Father, He is your Father rather, God is your Father, but God is also called your husband. He is also called in the Holy Scriptures your husband. When you believed in Christ, you were united to Christ in a spiritual marriage union that now exists between you and Christ. So as a born-again child of God, you are now in an intimate relationship with God and of Christ. You are in an intimate relationship with Christ. He is your one and only God. Remember Paul says, I'm jealous with a godly jealousy over you, for I have espoused you to one husband. And beloved, that is to be our hearts. Jesus is to be far and above preeminent in our hearts. Nothing and no person in this world is to come between us and our God. And this, Paul's telling these people, listen, don't be drawn away with these false teachers. Don't be brought into a place of worshiping and bowing down to things or to people that are not of God, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Look at Isaiah 54. Let me just show you this thing of us being espoused to God. Isaiah 54 and verse 5. I want you to see just a few passages. And listen, this marriage union that exists between you and Christ ought to tell you of how your Christian life ought to be. 
Listen, there's no other union or relationship in the world that is more intimate than that of a man and a woman joined together in marriage. There are things that are between you and your wife, husbands and wives, between you and your husbands that no one else knows. It is, it is a relationship of intimacy. And you are to have that with Christ. Paul was jealous for the Corinthians that they would have that relationship with a godly jealousy. Look at 54 of Isaiah and verse 5. He says here, For thy maker is thine husband. You see that? He's talking to Israel here, but beloved, this is spoken of us. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and the wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. And so, beloved, thy maker is thine husband. Ezekiel 16.8. The book of Ezekiel 16.8. This chapter is worthy to be read on the whole, but for the sake of time, I'll just read one passage to you. When God, in the imagery of a king passed by and saw Israel forsaken and cast aside to the loathing of a person. It says here in verse 8, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee and I covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God. And notice, and thou becamest mine. Boy, don't you love for God to talk about you like that? Christian, thou becamest mine. Hosea, chapter 2 and verse 19. The prophet Hosea, after the book of Daniel. Hosea 2.19. Hosea, chapter 2 and verse 19. The prophet here writes, the words of God, I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Boy, isn't that wonderful? I mean, I, that, I mean this is just, I love this passage. So, beloved, the chief end of Paul's, Paul's ministry to the church at Corinth and any other church for that matter was to make sure they were solidly united to Christ and to Christ alone, solo Christo, for the salvation of their souls. Listen, to betroth means to give in marriage as a father gives his daughter this betrothal of the church was exclusive for one man and one man only, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, listen, God speaks to me in this, in my work and ministry and pastoring you. It must also be carried out with the same godly jealousy. Listen, if any of us see someone else drifting or straying or giving more attention to someone else or something else than God, that thing has become a little G-O-D God. And beloved, God is a jealous God. 
And so our hearts must be focused on strengthening our union with Christ. Like Paul for the Corinthians, that we would be, that you would be espoused to one husband, even Christ. And then, beloved, this church should be equipping you spiritually so that you would walk by faith and obedience to Christ. And you need to be warned and admonished that there are dangers out there of straying in your hearts and minds from Christ. In fact, that's what Satan is for. That's what he comes for. As he deceived Eve, so he wants to do the same thing to you. And so, beloved, we are to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And listen, there's no easy button here. Jesus told his apostles, strive to enter in at the straight gate. That strive, that word is a present active imperative. It means we are always to be striving. We are always to be turning away from the world, turning away from our sins, striving to enter in at the straight gate. We are to always be putting forth, beloved, the fullness of our hearts toward walking with Christ. Now, we are to set our affection, set your mind, your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. All of this so that you would be a properly adorned bride when the Lord comes. You see, right now, God is getting all the wrinkles out of your beautiful white dress that you would be presented to Him without spot and without blemish. That's what the Christian life is. It's not just a ticket to heaven. No, we are being made ready for the bridegroom, beloved. In your Christian life, you are to be constantly, you are to be being constantly conformed to the image of Christ. Listen, understand that when you believe Christ, you're no longer a citizen of the world. You're no longer of the world. You're of heaven now. And that's what a Christian is. A Christian is a citizen of heaven. You're a foreigner to this place. As people look at you and say, yeah, he is a foreigner to this place, or she is a foreigner to this place, you can say, yeah, I am, because my eternal home's in heaven. My citizenship is there. It's just as heaven to them is foreign. And the Christian life to them is foreign. And that's because they're aliens from it. And they know not Christ. They know not its king. But beloved, we are no longer of the world. We are to, being, we are to be being sanctified and purified and prepared for heaven. This was Paul's ministry to the church at Corinth. And by God's grace, I pray that it would always be the ministry here. That you would be being prepared for heaven. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Speaking of that mystery of Christ and his church. Many go here for marriage of a man and a woman. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the real story is in the, the underpinnings of this verse. And Paul says that. He says, I'm speaking about Christ and his church, that relationship. Look at chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church. See the intimacy? And he gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. What? 
his church with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, that's you, Christian, a glorious church. Notice, not having spot and no wrinkles in her beautiful white dress or any such thing that would tarnish the bride, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Beloved, that's what should be happening in every one of our Christian lives. We're being made ready for heaven. And listen, I believe that every saint that dies and they hear those words, enter into the joy of thy Lord, they, they know what's happening. They know where they're at. And they just go right in. And you would ask, well, how could somebody who simply professes Christ and doesn't live for Christ, if they died, all of a sudden, what, they're going to have a training class for people that go to heaven? Well, yeah, you weren't living right down there, so we have to kind of get you ready. No, beloved, that's not how it's going to be. Look at Colossians 1 and verse 21. Just turn over there. Colossians 1 and verse 21. Listen, this was Paul's, if I can say, his passion for the church at Corinth, for every church that he preached at. And beloved, it ought to be ours. Verse 21, he says to the Colossians, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Oh, you got to love this. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You see that? I mean, that's wonderful. Notice, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away or removed from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. One more passage, Jude 20. Jude 20, there's only one chapter, so I'll just give you the verse. Jude 20. <clears throat> but you, beloved. Remember, we're talking about the bride being conformed to the image of Christ. The bride being sanctified, being purified, being washed with the water of the word, being made ready and prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But ye, beloved, ye beloved bride, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Notice there's the responsibility here to keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is spotted by the flesh. Verse 21 is our responsibility. Verse 24 is what God's going to do. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God and our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power. This was Paul's calling from Christ. This was Paul's mission. This was his heart. But listen, beloved, where the work of Christ is flourishing, be assured that the wicked one will always show up 
and try to take the high ground and destroy the work of Christ. Paul was not ignorant of Satan's devices. He knew that the wicked one would send minions to Corinth. Let's just finish out with verses 3 and 4. Turn back there, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 3 and 4. So Paul says, just as the serpent beguiled means seduced, lied to, deceived, as the serpent beguiled Eve by his subtlety means craftiness, trickiness. Paul says, my fear is that you will in the same way by any means from Satan be deceived and you will turn away from the simplicity of that is in Christ. Now, think about this. Eve was unfallen when Satan came to her. She was not a sinner. Adam was unfallen. And I want you to see the subtlety of Satan here. They were unfallen. They were not sinners. And yet the serpent seduced her. And she believed his lie. Don't ever think that you can combat Satan all by yourself. You can't. The Bible says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Only then can you wrestle against, against principalities and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Satan was able to deceive Eve and Adam in their unfallen state. And beloved He wants to do the same to you. This is his primary mission against you, beloved. You say, but I'm saved. Yes, you're saved, but he wants to corrupt your mind and turn you from Christ to believe his lies. And that's what he was doing in the church at Corinth. This is why it is imperative for us as Christians to know the word of God and to know, like we said on Wednesday, we need to know what we believe and we need to believe what we know. And so it's imperative, beloved, that we know the truth of God's word. We know the promises of God's word, but we also must not be ignorant of his methods and his devices, beloved. We must trust God's word. We must be able to answer like Christ answered in his temptation. He answered every time Satan threw a temptation at him. He said it is written. And so he answered with the truth of God's word. This Beloved, so that you will be wise enough in the Holy Scriptures to know when you are hearing a false teacher, one who is by subtlety trying to undermine your faith in Christ. That word undermine, you know what it means? It means to go in by stealth under the foundation of a building and destroy the foundation. And what happens then? The whole building falls. And so that's what Satan wants to do. He wants, you to, uh, he wants to undermine your faith in Christ. But beloved, we need to be rooted and established upon Christ. Listen, if we profess to be Christians, we need to know what we believe about Christ. And so Paul finally rebukes this church. He rebukes them for bearing with these false teachers that had infiltrated the church. And beloved, you and I need to know, listen, There are preachers all over the internet. There are preachers all over Sermon Audio. There are preachers everywhere. We need to know when another Jesus is being presented to us. Paul warned the Corinthians here of another Jesus 
whom we have not preached, Paul says, and another spirit whom you have not received, and another gospel which you have not accepted. I'll read to you briefly what Paul told the the Galatian Christians. You remember that there were Judaizers in Acts chapter 15 who told the people of Galatia, you cannot be saved except you keep the law of Moses unless you be circumcised. Of course, this is false teaching. And so Paul spoke to the Galatians in chapter 1 and verse 6. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. We need to be so careful, beloved. Listen, if anyone would present God's message of salvation to you to be anything else but Jesus Christ and him crucified, you must not tolerate or listen to those who preach a message that is not salvation by Christ and by Christ alone. Beloved, we need to know. And listen, many there are in the world of religion who use the Bible. This is the scary thing. Who use the Bible. They use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're ministers of Satan. Look at the same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. Paul speaks of these preachers. He said, for such are false apostles. They're not apostles. They're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now let me just give you a few applications and things to remember. Christian, remember this. You are a spouse to Christ. You're married to Christ. When you call yourself a Christian, that's like saying, I have an intimate relationship with Christ. The question for you and me is, do you? With that thought, also remember that if you're God's child, you're also God's wife, and God is a jealous God. Number two, to be a Christian, again, in your Christian life, rather, you are being prepared for the kingdom of heaven, the actual kingdom of heaven. You're being prepared for heaven, beloved, and that's what your Christian life is should be filled with being sanctified, being conformed to the image of Christ. So remember that. You're married to Christ. You should be intimate with Christ. Remember that God is jealous if we're his wife and we're straying to go and seek the love of others or the love of this world. And second, remember, you're as a bride being prepared for her husband. And then finally, be careful of being seduced away from Christ by the wicked one through a false teacher and through false teaching. That's his primary mission against you, child of God, to corrupt your mind away from the simplicity and purity of the gospel of Christ and from your fidelity and your loyalty and your faithfulness to him. So remember two things if you remember not anything else. Simplicity and subtlety. 
this morning be so careful of being corrupted away from the simplicity of Christ, the genuineness of Christ, the truth of Christ, by the subtlety and lies of Satan. Remember, sincerity, genuineness, truth, subtlety, deception, craftiness, lies. Be so careful, brethren. If you're outside of Christ and you're not a Christian, then right now you're in a state of captivity. The wicked one has you right where he wants you. He doesn't mind you coming to church, but he doesn't want you to commit your whole heart to Christ. He wants you to just be here and think that you're okay and I can go and I don't have to really believe Christ and give my life to him. No, I don't really need to turn from my sins. As long as I come, God will be pleased with me. I can simply come and it's okay, right? No, it's not, beloved. It's not okay. If you would be saved from your sins, then you must forsake your old life. You must forsake and turn from your sins. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so I pray that if you haven't, that you will. But remember, Christ is no beggar. He's a commander. The book of Acts says that God commands all men everywhere to repent. His truth has been set before you. If you're lost and you're able to walk out and go home and spend the rest of the day, God's given you space to repent. But don't despise the goodness of God. Don't cast aside his word. Don't forget the truth of the gospel and let it fall to the wayside because the devil will come pick it all up and you won't be able to remember what you heard. Don't allow that to happen. Beloved, believe for yourself. Sinner, believe that you might be saved. Amen. Let's dismiss in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that there would be clarity in the minds of those that heard it. I pray, Father, that you would teach us. Father, teach us about the simplicity, the genuineness, the perfectness, the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we would know that there are enemies of foot, spiritual enemies who would undermine our faith in Christ. Father, as Paul was jealous with a godly jealousy for the church at Corinth, Father, I pray that I would be such here. Oh God, that your people would be singularly fixed upon Christ and Christ alone. That you would teach us, Father. That you would undergird us. Father, that you would give us a foundation rooted and built up upon Christ. And then, Father, that we would be built up upon our most holy faith. Father, and that we would be strengthened. And that you would continue to help us, oh God, to be conformed to the image of Christ and to be made ready for heaven. Oh God, we have such a salvation. Oh Lord, Christ is to be boasted of. He deserves all the glory and all the honor. Help us to be faithful livers of the gospel, but help us also to be faithful witnesses of what Christ has done in our souls. And we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen, brethren. We will dismiss. I would just remind you that tonight at 5.30, Brother Randy will bring the message. So I pray that you'd come and hear our dear brother preach 5.30 this evening.
Do I need to announce anything else? Anything that I forgot? Okay. All right, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord with you, uh, dear people. We're dismissed. God bless you on your surgery. God bless you on your surgery.